You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. God's Word gives us instruction. It gives us warning. It gives us warning about wealth or pleasures. It it gives us warning. It gives us warning about sins. It it gives us warning about dangers that we can't see. And it gives us warnings about dangers that we don't even appreciate or even know are there. And it gives us dangers about things in the future. You see, God sees the big picture. He knows what's going to trip you up next week. He knows what's there and He gives you warnings to that. He, He doesn't tempt us any much more than we can handle. And He gives you a way out. Throughout Scripture, God gives warning after warning of what will happen if you don't follow His will. Today, Pastor Dave shows you, through King Solomon's disobedience, what can happen when you don't listen. God knows what's going to happen, and He'll warn you so you don't fall into sin. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 11 as he begins his message, The Danger of Disobedience. So in the early days of Solomon, you've been following us now through 1 Kings. In the early days of Solomon, Solomon stayed close to the Lord. He stayed close to the Lord, and the Lord blessed him with great wisdom and great wealth. During this time, peace ruled over Israel, and the entire nation prospered. And when I thought about these things, um, I went to Psalm 33 in verse 12. 33 verse 12, it says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. And when the leaders of the nation are following after God, and the nation is following God, good things happen. Good things happen. And the same thing can be said about our lives. Hence the title of tonight's message. When we're following the Lord, when we are trusting in the Lord, serving Him, following Him, being in communion with Him and fellowshipping Him with Him, good things happen. It may not look like good things, but they all work together for good. And and they all come out with with Him being glorified. And also in Psalm 144, uh, the psalmist uh, says, Happy are the people who are in such a state Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Again, and that happy, you know, is blessed. Blessed. So blessed are the people. Blessed whose nation is God is the Lord. And blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. And who are in that state. Now, that's not talking about a country. That's talking about a state of being with the Lord. The state of being with the Lord. So Solomon was like that at first. And Israel prospered beyond belief. Israel prospered beyond all thought because God was allowing them to. God was giving them the strength because of their leader who was following God and listening to God at that time. But as we studied, cracks began to appear in Solomon's character. And he began to compromise his beliefs. And he began to compromise the commands of the Lord to the point where he went into disobedience. And as these cracks in his character grew, he became further and further and further away from the Lord. And this is what happens with compromise. We start out with a small compromise, and it doesn't seem like a lot. 
And pretty soon we end up being further and further away from the Lord. And you could be, my old saying is, you could be a tick off. You could be a tick off from following the Lord. And, and we use the old Loran thing. And I like to talk about the old Loran systems. We had this uh, when we were talking to the guys when we were in Sandy Cove. And, and if you're coming out of Atlantic City in the old Loran system and, and then you want to go home, let's say Atlantic City was 67.9. And you typed in 70. I'm only one tick off. And the next thing you know, you're in Nova Scotia instead of being in Atlantic City. Well, the same thing with our relationship with the Lord. Look about it. The relationship with the Lord, you get one tick off, one little bit of compromise, and you start to go that way, and look what happens. And pretty soon, your thoughts are, how did I get here? How did I end up in this predicament? How did I end up in this situation? Well, this is where Solomon finds himself. He falls into complete disobedience. He becomes disobedient to the word of God. How? He collects horses. He goes to Egypt and collects horses. He collects gold. He collects silver. And he collects wives and concubines. All these things were in direct violation of Deuteronomy 17. It was all in direct correlation or direct disobedience to Deuteronomy 17. Now, many of these marriages helped him because as he made a peace treaty with certain groups, He would marry their daughter as a sign of the peace treaty. That's what they did back then. But having these wives in multiplicity was against God's law. And the one thing God said would happen, happened. Solomon was led astray by his wives, and he began to worship foreign gods. And this was the biggie. This was the biggest thing, because we serve a jealous God. We serve a jealous God. In fact, El Kahana is one of his names, a jealous God. And they, he, he went away and he started building high places for his wives so they could worship. And he was worshiping with them. Look at 1 Kings 11. Look at verses 4 through 8. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. He did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. This was going directly against God's law. There would be no other gods before you. Set no other gods. That's the first commandment. That's the first commandment. Solomon had broken it terribly. He had ignored God's warning. God's warning came first as part of the Davidic covenant way back in 2 Samuel 7. And then God spoken to Solomon personally at Gibeon in 1 Kings 3. He repeated it as Solomon was building the temple in 1 Kings 6. And then after the dedication of the temple, God spoke to him one more time in 1 Kings 9. So Solomon had been warned and warned and warned time and time and time again. And I know our God is long-suffering. And he continues to warn us, but there comes a time when he reaches the limit that he must act. He must act and judge righteously, because he's a just and righteous judge, and he must do that. Solomon didn't heed these warnings from God, and after disobeying God, he ignored the warnings of God. And it's interesting, because as I was reading, this came about. 
in Psalm 19, verses 10 to 11, it said, he's talking about the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The statutes are right, etc." He says in verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold. Yes, much fine gold, sweeter than honey of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. Your servant is warned by the word of God. We are warned by the word of God. And in keeping them, the word of God, there is great reward. There is great reward. So it's interesting because David, his father, Solomon's father, knew the value of God's word. He meditated on it day and night. In fact, he wrote about it in his Psalms. And in your word, I meditate day and night. Let the words of my mouth be acceptable. You know, he, he talked about these things. God's word is God's revelation to him in writing form. It's very valuable, and we should desire it more than gold, more than anything else. We should desire God's word. David didn't want any money. No amount of money or no wealth could command his attention more than the word of God. And this was what set David apart from many, many people, including his son Solomon. For King David, God's word was not only to be held in greater esteem than all the riches that you can think of, but even in the sensual experiences, is sweeter than the honeycomb. It was pleasant to eat. And even today, God's word is so sweet. It's sweet to us. And when you read it, it becomes like a portion to you. And, and he is our portion. And you become filled to overflowing with dissatisfaction. I told you about the time when we were at a, at a uh, retreat up in Harvey Cedars, and, and we were all sitting around worshiping the Lord, and we were getting so close to the Lord, and somebody said it was lunchtime, and nobody wanted to go eat, which is unusual for a group of guys. We didn't want to go eat because we were feasting on God's Word. We were feasting on the Word of God, and it was so pure to us and so rich to us. And I know it's difficult to understand because, I mean, look at me. I like to eat as much as anybody else. But we didn't want to move from that spot because it was so joyous and so important to us to worship God and, and to read and to study his word. It was sweet. God's word gives us instruction. It gives us warning. It gives us warning about wealth or pleasures. It, it gives us warning. It gives us warning about sins. It, it gives us warning about dangers that we can't see. And it gives us warnings about dangers that we don't even appreciate or even know are there. And it gives us dangers about things in the future. You see, God sees the big picture. He knows what's going to trip you up next week. He knows what's there, and he gives you warnings to that. He, he doesn't tempt us any much more than we can handle, and he gives you a way out. He gives you a way out, Scripture says. There was no way Solomon could have claimed ignorance. That guy didn't know. There was, there was no way he could claim ignorance because there was dangers in his disobedience. God had warned him. Even in 11, 9, and 10. Let's read 11, 9, and 10. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Notice what it says there. It doesn't say because he amassed gold. It doesn't say because he amassed horses. It doesn't even say because he amassed wives. What does it say? Because he went after foreign gods. He went after another god. Now, your god could be money. Your god could be sex. Your god could be rock and roll. Your, your god could be whatever. And if you're following that god, you're not following the one true god. 
See, God gets jealous of that because he wants you to himself. He loves you as one of his children. And all through the Bible, there are verse after verse after verse. And we love to dwell on these verses about God's love. Oh, I love Surely, goodness and mercy. Yeah, we love to dwell on those verses because they're beautiful. Look at his mercy and his overwhelming grace. And we're going, oh, this is great. I love it. But the Bible also contains many, many warnings. There are many, many warnings in the Word of God. And when you read the entire Word of God and look at everything line by line, verse upon verse, you come across warnings from time to time that we need to heed. We need to take note of. We need to let it sink into our mind and go, there's a warning here that I have to look at. But like Solomon, sadly, a lot of the warnings that we get are rejected. We reject the warnings. So what happens? Well, what happens to us is the same thing that happened to Solomon. God has to pass judgment. God has to pass judgment. Now, I know we're saved by grace, and I know Jesus Christ has paid for our sin. I know that. But we're talking Old Testament here, all right? But even in the New Testament, God's not mocked. What the man sows, that will he reap. And it applies here. If you're going to sow disobedience to the flesh, you're going to reap to the flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap spiritual things. So God's judgment now is passed on Solomon. Let's finish out this section in verse 11 to 13. Therefore, why? Because of all the other things that happened, because of what we just talked about, therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear it away from your whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of your servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So God says, because you've done this, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you. It's going to be gone. Basically, the kingdom's going to divide. And it's going to stay divided for over 400 years. The kingdom is going to be divided. I'm going to take 10 tribes and give them to your servant. And I'll leave you with one, actually two, because he's going to leave Solomon or Solomon's heir with Judah. And inside of Judah is the tribe of Benjamin. But the other 10 tribes are torn apart. So what does God do? How does God accomplish that? Well, he raises up adversaries against Solomon. And as we continue in chapter 11, we see several of these adversaries beginning with Hadad, the Edomite. Let's look at 14 through 22. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad, the Edomite. He was the descendant of the king of Edom. For it happened when David was in Edom and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom because of six months, Joab remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom, that Hadad fled to go to Egypt and he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him. Hadad was still a little child. They arose from Midian and came to Paran, and they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, a portion food for him, and gave him land. And Hadad found favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him as wife the sister of his own wife, that is, the sister Queen Taphens. Then the sister of Taphens bore him uh, Gebedath, his son, whom Taphens weaned in Pharaoh's house, and Jenubath was the Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. 
So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said to him, but what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? So he answered, nothing, but do let me go anyway. So Solomon had married women from Edom. You found that in 1 Kings 11 verse 1. But that didn't stop Hadad. David and Joab had wiped out all the males of the Edomites, but somehow this little boy escapes. He goes to Egypt for asylum with Pharaoh. And this new Pharaoh seemed not to recognize the treaty that Solomon had made with Pharaoh. Because remember back when Solomon's first wife? Who was Solomon's first wife? The daughter of Pharaoh, remember? Way back when Solomon took his first wife, she was the daughter of Pharaoh. They made a pact, they made a peace treaty, and as a sign of that treaty, Pharaoh gave Solomon his daughter, and they became man and wife. But the new Pharaoh didn't recognize this treaty. So since he didn't recognize this, he sent Hadad back. He allowed Hadad to go back. Now, this Pharaoh gave Hadad shelter and food and eventually gave him a wife. And after the deaths of David and Joab, Hadad thought it safe to re-enter Jerusalem. The Lord uses Hadad to harass Solomon and his troops, attacking the borders continuously. This constant irritation of these attacks should have reminded Solomon that the Lord was disciplining him and calling him back from disobedience. But it did not. We don't know exactly what Hadad did We may find out when we get the Chronicles more about what he did, but he seemed to have these little raids where he would go in and cause some problems and kind of retreat. And this was like a gnat that would come around Solomon and was buzzing and bothering him. And he wanted to get rid of this little gnat. So the Lord sends another one. The Lord says, I'm going to send another one to bug you, Solomon. Let's look at 23 to 25. And God raised up another adversary against him, Rezan, the son of Eladah who had fled from his lord, had a desert, the king of Zobah. So he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders when David killed those of Zobah. And when they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon's besides the trouble that Hadad caused. And he had bored Israel and reigned over Syria. So again, although Solomon was extremely successful He wasn't a superman. God would allow these people to come in and harass him. Remember, what was the one thing when Solomon took the oath of office, so to speak, and became king, what was the one thing that they could boast about in Israel? Anybody? Peace. Remember, the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies. There were no enemies against now, all of a sudden, all these enemies are coming up, and they're starting to pick at him, you know? And they are. They're like little gnats flying around and buzzing you, you know, teeth with wings, going, bothering you and bothering you. These little things are just, just enough to harass him, just enough to keep him off his game. Just enough, though, he was supposed to know that God was now disciplining him. He was supposed to know that. God knew that Solomon needed an adversary. Then you also know how many adversaries Solomon needed. So one came from the north and one comes from the south. I love what Guzik says. He says, quote, In some ways, men and women are shaped by their adversaries, especially by their response to those adversaries. There I say, 
that you are measured by your response, not only to your adversaries, but to adversarial problems that come about. When you are going through a major problem, how do you respond? Are you on the floor kicking and screaming your hands and your feet? Or are you praising God in the midst of the circumstances? What are you doing? You are judged by that. Why? Because you call yourself a Christian. And people want to look into your life and go, well, you know, they are dying to say to you, and you call yourself a Christian. They're dying to say that to you. They want to see how you're going to act. And so these things come into your life. These things come in your Solomon resisted both these adversaries. But you might ask the things like, why did the Lord bring these guys back in the land to harass Solomon? And that's a good question. Why? I can give you one word. One word why. Does anybody want to guess? Why did God bring these back in to discipline Solomon? Four-letter word. Begins with L. Love. God loves Solomon. God loves Solomon. God loves you. And when you are in disobedience, he brings in things for, because of his love. We're going to get to that in a little while. We're going to talk about that in a little while. The Lord didn't want to see Solomon continue in his sin. The Lord didn't want to see Solomon continue in the iniquity. So he sent these in hoping that it would shake him up. So that he would turn around and repent and come back to God. Don't tell me you haven't seen things in your life that have done the same thing. Things in your life that went, whoa, I better get back to God. Whoa, man, I'm on, I'm on the bad track here. What's interesting to me is some attacks come from the outside. Some attacks come from outside, people you might have known or people you don't know or people you have no idea who they are. But then there's attacks from inside. And God sets up the attacks from the inside. Let's look at 26 through 40. Then Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the Ephraimite from Zereda, whose mother's name was Zerah, a widow who rebelled against the king. So Jeroboam rebels against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. Then Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now it happened at the time when Jeroboam went out to Jerusalem that a prophet, Ahijah, met him on the way. And he had clothed himself with a new garment, and two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give you give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel." because they have forsaken me and worship Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemes, the god of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes, keep my statutes and my commandments, as did his father David. You are a sure.
Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of 1 Kings. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so that they're available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for times and directions. And if you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 1 Kings. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from 1 Kings. But until then, we encourage you to read through the Bible on your own and tune in next time on A Sure Hope.